Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. In today's episode, I had such an amazing conversation with Beate. This is 100% one that you're going to want to listen to if you are a new or you have been in the entrepreneurial space for quite some time. So a little bit more on Beate and our conversation in this episode. She started her business with $135,000 in debt as a single parent and immigrant into America. She then propelled her photography passion into a global enterprise, and then she sold that business to Bill Gates in a multi-million dollar deal. Today, her proven strategies have facilitated clients in generating over $30 million in revenue. Her expertise, backed by her experience, offers a unique blend of practical wisdom and, of course, entrepreneurial inspiration. Let's dive right into the episode. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I'm excited to be here. I think this, what you talk about is a a big issue for a lot of, especially younger entrepreneurs that are not wanting to wait until they're retired to do all the fun things they want to do. So excited to support your audience with some of the insights that I've learned along my journey. So I'm originally from Germany. I'm an immigrant. I live now in the United States in Los Angeles. So I picked a place that I wanted to live at. I jokingly always say Los Angeles is the city of misfits. So everybody who doesn't fit anywhere else fits here. So I mean, it's in the most loving and supporting way possible. And that makes me fit in here just perfectly. And I was originally a photographer from Germany and went into the creative arts because I liked creativity. I like visionaries. I like thought leaders. To this day, I work with people with big ideas and crazy, outrageous ideas and help them land planes. So the uh, problem only was that I was better at the business side and not so much at the creativity. And I, I recognized that early on that my my sweet spot was that I could see the how it needed to be organized, how it needed to be structured, what needed to happen in what order and chronologically what the steps would be. And it was always shocked that other people didn't know how to do that because it was so obvious to me. And so I went into then becoming a photo editor at 23, I was a photo editor at Elle magazine in Germany, you know, by in anybody's book, the dream job, but I did not like it. And then I immigrated to the United States, started working for another company and was in photography production and in photography representation, working for great clients, you know, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Ocean Pacific. Cameron Diaz was one of the models that was doing our swimsuit modeling back in the day. So you know, a lot of the people that eventually became someone were people that went through my office in my casting calls and fun stuff. But I had experienced a recession then, like, you know, long recession. I was laid off. I had to figure out how to do this on my own. And then I did. And so over a decade of literally a decade, I would be trying to figure out how I need to set up my business model, what I needed to do. I went to organizations. I learned how to be a leader, how to be a business owner. And it was like probably comparable to somebody with a cast iron frying pan. It definitely was not nonstick. 
at every corner of my life, it would stand there and I would get the big fat frying pan over my head and it would be a fire, fires, floods, riots, the big earthquake. And then I had an employee got too close to my key vendor and I sued them both and invoices that I wrote were paid to them. Then September 11th comes and wipes out half a million dollars worth in production volume and it destroyed my production business. And so at every corner it turned, there was somebody who says, not here. This is not the way. This is not the way. And eventually I'm $135,000 in debt, Nicole. I'm going like, man, this is this is bad. I have to borrow money to pay interest on borrowed money. And I go to Germany. My dad has a stroke. My father did not have a stroke. My father had pancreatic cancer. And my father dies within only six weeks. And now I'm paying for a funeral on money I don't have in Germany. I'm at this beautiful, picturesque valley with a Baroque church behind me. My, my father literally just been buried. And my phone rings. It's my office. And they're telling me that while I was gone at the funeral in Germany, we've been served a notice. So now we're losing the house. And so there's a moment where we always talk about in life about defining moments. Well, this definitely was one of the defining moments because I was like, I got angry. I went down on my knees and I yelled at God and I said, dude, if you have a plan, this would be a really good time to film me because this is just stupid. This is just not normal. I mean, WTF, what the heck is going on here? And then I, I surrendered. I came back to Los Angeles. Not too long afterward, I got a letter from the White House. And so this is a really pivotal part that I want your listeners to really pay attention to because we often look at things that happen to us as a nuisance and we don't see the opportunity that is hidden in something that shows up as a challenge. The reason I wrote a letter to the White House was because my former mother-in-law was a nag. She kept nagging me about writing this letter to the president of the United States. I mean, seriously, who writes a letter to the president of the United States asking for help? Well, I did because she just wouldn't be quiet about it. And so when I got the letter from the White House, it put me in touch with a small business administration, which I could have done by myself. But this put me in touch with the number two. That put me in front of the banks and they found me somebody restructuring my debt in a 10-year fixed loan, freed up my line of credit, got me three months later to break even, 18 months later to becoming the world leader in my industry. That's what attracted the attention of a Bill Gates company. And they asked me how I did it. And I said, you want it, you buy it. They said, fine. They asked me how much. I said, a couple million. They said, okay. And then 18 months of the worst moment of my life, I became a multimillionaire by selling my business to Bill Gates. Wow. Okay. There is so much to unpack in this story. So I want to get a few details, make sure I have them right. So first of all, if you had not have mailed this letter to the president of the United States, which sounds so grandiose and kind of absurd to say aloud, I'm sure you're talk, used to that. Stupid. It sounds stupid, really. It's like, seriously, you did what? To wrap my head around that. But I'd love, so if you hadn't have done that, that it was really the catalyst in what led to a series of very fortunate other events. Is that correct? Yes. And and that's why I think it's so important to pay attention to something like this, because, you know, just like you, if 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 you if you would now tell your audience, oh, by the way, guys, I wrote a letter to the president of the United States yesterday and I'm asking him to help me. Then everybody would like, girl, cute. But what are you thinking? What do you what do you hope to achieve? And then you'll say something like, 
I actually just did it because so-and-so, Auntie Auntie Susie, just kind of convinced me to do it. I was like, well, you, you waste your time any way you want to. And then and then something like this happened. So I think the, the important part here is to recognize that opportunity shows up in a format that you cannot recognize it. So if you miss these kinds of opportunity because you're judgmental, and I was very judgmental about it, but... When you, when, you, when you put the judgment aside and you say, what do I have to lose? A letter. That's what happens. Wow. Yeah, that, that really puts things into perspective. And I'm sure for you, was that kind of a perspective change on I have to think differently and put things into a specific perspective on my life because you never thought that one letter would change the course of your entire life. Absolutely. And I think that this story, you know, just kind of continues like that. So today... When I work with entrepreneurs and help them to figure out what their business models are, I always encourage them to to look at this from the perspective and saying opportunity doesn't show up labeled opportunity with a lollipop and a cappuccino attached to it. The opportunity shows up as a challenge. And then you go, seriously, why would I want to do that? And I have another example that I think is really important to also understand because I know your audience, some of them, you know, either are already out on the road or some are thinking on how am I going to make this happen? So sometimes not making a decision is your decision. So I remember when I was in production, my goal had been to become a music video producer. So I was always watching MTV. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. I want to do that. And then there came the day where I finally produced my first music video. And I remember I'm in the dry, dry lake bed out in, you know, two hours out of Los Angeles. And the grip truck comes and the camera crew comes, the director of photography comes, the talent comes, the stylist, the motorhomes. And, you know, out of nowhere, you know, suddenly there's this whole little city that we, we have for whatever the day or two days that we are, that we are filming. And I hear this voice in my head and this voice in my head says, you need to go bigger. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm, I mean, I'm doing exactly what I had always wanted. At least I thought it's like, this is not big enough for you. You need to work on a global scale. And I was paying no attention to it. And then everything, pardon me, and then everything was taken away from me. And I lost the photography business. I lost the photography production business on September 11th. And one day I lost everything. Would I have listened to that voice at that time I heard it and had taken measures, then that might have been a different thing, but I didn't. And so when the decision was taken away from me, it wasn't so pretty. I still got there. Now, looking back, if I were to say to you, Nicole, do you think that it's worth 10 years of hardship to become a multimillionaire and selling your business to Bill Gates? What would you say? That's an interesting question. I would probably say, what's the alternative? I would need to know what the other side looks like. The other side would be. You stay in your job. Then that would be a hard no. That would be a hard no. 10 years of learning, growing, difficult times. Yes. But growth throughout that. Yes. Staying in my job is the lowest form of failure for me. So so there you go. So within that always lies the answer is that if I look back now and I would say, and I I, I can say, well, I had 10 years of, of just like the worst worst luck and all these tragedies. And then my dad dies. Look at where I am today. Is it worth it? So yes, it is worth it. You just cannot give up before the miracle happens. And I think I 
love this topic. I do still want to ask you some more questions about your initial story. But I think on this topic, I was just speaking with somebody, I think it was on a podcast the other day, about how you really need to be so consistent and have such incredible perseverance skills. Because I think in today's day and age, everything is online, on social media, on Instagram. It's very easy to see the few people who blow up or the few people who start a business and six months later, it's amazing and they're making a bunch of money or it appears that they're making a bunch of money. But what really, I know what it was, what really put this into perspective for me was I'm reading a book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Rumi Zeti. And I think we all know this because of his Netflix show. And me reading the book, this is his first edition. I realized from his writing, I didn't know when it was published. It's an ebook. I can't very easily just go to the front and check. So through reading the book, he's talking about us 20-something-year-olds and when I'm 60. And then he starts talking about the recession in 2000. And I was like, oh my gosh, this book is over a decade old. I had no idea because he is now on Netflix and huge and big and doing all the things. And it really just put into perspective for me the consistency that you need to have in any business. It doesn't matter what it is online, physical, doesn't matter. The consistency, because he's been doing this for minimum two decades, probably much, much more. I think he's been doing this since he was before university, but you don't see that. You know, you see he has a Netflix show and now the last six months, everybody has known who he is, but that is not an overnight success. And I believe there's no overnight success. That is really decades in the making. I'm a 13-year overnight success. So so yes, to your point, it is not when when you see the success, you don't see the hard work that went into it. I mean, I I do believe that some people figure this out sooner, especially if you are hiring the coaches and consultants. I mean, if somebody what is putting a hundred thousand dollars in a Russell Brunson one year mastermind program and then you get all the insights and access to the people that know everything about funnel hacking, you probably are going to get there faster than if you are sitting there and you're reading and researching on your own and watching free YouTube videos on that. Not to say that the information is not out there, but it, it comes down to two things, time or money. What do you value more? At, at, you know, and, and I've been doing this for decades and I'm, I'm certainly uh, not 20, far from, but but there is time that goes into it. So you do need to think about what is what is your value. Time for me is, a, is, is very valuable. I'm very conscious who I give my time to and what I give my time to. I was thinking about this, this complete side note. So as I was working with my mother-in-law, who is 92, on setting her up for her computers. You know, she, she's 92. So it's not like she's taking her iPhone and doing wild things on it. But she has a, she needs to be able to log into her bank account to see that her money is there. She just needs to be able to do that because that's her mental, that's her safety zone. And when she cannot do that, it causes her stress and anxiety. So when I went in and I saw that she hadn't updated because the iPhone updated the operating system because it's an automatic update. So now she needed to enter her Apple ID so that she could get her emails and all access because it was shutting down certain things until she she did that. She doesn't know what that is, nor does she know how to do it, nor does she know what her Apple ID password is. I'm sitting there and I'm spending like literally over the last three months, I've spent 40 hours just helping her with the with the internet access and 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 you know, getting these guys out there, yelling at them, 
making sure she's safe, that she's staying in a non-anxious moment. And I'm thinking to myself yesterday, I have put so much time into this. I would not do this in my own business. I would hire somebody to do that. But for her, I do that. So this just talks about to how do you value time and how do you value relationships? So I do this because I want her to be calm because that benefits my partner, that benefits me. So I do something for her that I would never normally do because that's a value I have. So I think everybody also needs to always think about if you put your time and energy or money into something, what are you going to put it in and what's the outcome? So I will do more things for my relationships than I would never do in my business, but I do that because it's an investment in the relationship. So in the business, I pay people and I take shortcuts because I don't have the time. In my personal life, because I've always worked hard, now I value the relationships more. So I put more energy in that. So that's also a really important decision as you are going out to your nomad lifestyle and say, where am I with that? Is the nomad lifestyle that I want to do this in perpetuity forever and forever and ever? Am I going to do this for 10 years to get it out of my system? Am I, where's my, where are my parents in this? Where's my family in this? Is that important? Do I want to have my own family? What happens if I change my mind? Am I giving myself permission to change my mind? So I think that as you're setting up these business models, you do need to look at your own value system and says, what do I want? And give yourself permission to change your mind when you do change your mind and you will change your mind. I think that that is so not talked about enough to really go down all of the potential avenues and know what that could look like. Because you don't know living this lifestyle, living any lifestyle, you don't know what the future is going to look like. So I want to talk, most people do not have a business acquisition purchased by Bill Gates. So Bill Gates by himself as an individual also has a number of businesses that he that he owns and owned without Microsoft being involved in it. That just was the biggest business he had. What I did is I had a stock photography syndication and that was born because I learned from having been in the photography business that I wanted money to be made while I wasn't there, which is today now the online business. I mean, that was the very first version of an online business. So I was in the first row when images were first digitized and made available via the internet, which was, so uh, cool. which was, which was a big thing, right? I mean, digitization on a drum roll, we sent, we, we sent boxes to India where they had those drum rolls. They didn't even have a lot of them here in the United States. So I understood very early on that technology was going to have a pivotal impact in generating recurring revenue. And so the business that I wanted to set up was a business that literally made money while I was sleeping. So I went after the A-listers. So that's another piece of advice I have. Go after A-listers. Don't waste your time with C people. Go after A. If you have A, B, and C automatically follows. If you have C people, A is never going to come. So put your effort in where you get the biggest bang for your buck. We had the greatest architect photographers, interior photographers in the world that were part of my, my tribe because I had the reputation. You know, I was a photo editor at Elle magazine. 
I had been in photography representation, photography production for all this time. So people knew that I was, you know, I could be trusted. And when I built this up, what happened as a side effect is the A-listers work with other A-listers. So they work with A-list architects, A-list interior designers who design Francis Ford Coppola's home, Madonna's home, Simon Baker's home, Julian Moore's home. So next thing I know, I get these home stories of Seal's house in Mexico, and it just gotten out of embargo from a cover feature from an international magazine. And the photographer said, do you know how to sell these? And I said, well, of course, I used to be an editor at Elle magazine. So this is how it like went full circle. Next thing I know, I had built up an international syndication network of 79 companies in the world that would license these at-home stories. And everybody wanted those. So I would, I would send this out over the ticker at night and say, Madonna's house just came out of embargo. Who's interested? In the morning when I came in, I had answers from every country in the world. You know, Hungary, Poland, Russia, Italy, France, London. Germany, Switzerland, and on and on and on. And they all go like, we want to buy it. Then I would take it to the publicist, give them a list of 30 potential sales. The publicist would say, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, 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 no, no. And then I'd, I'd had sold 30, 40, 50, $60,000 overnight in, with one story. And that is what the Bill Gates company was looking for because they had bought for an insane amount of money the best and most recognized celebrity portraiture company in the world here in Los Angeles called Outline, and they couldn't grow it because it was a high-touch business. And we went into the digital world. So high-touch and digital doesn't always work together. And so they needed to grow it, and that was the only way they could grow it, and that's why, they, why, they, why, they, why when they saw me, this, was a, this is the moment in time you wait for. You built it, and there was one buyer one buyer that could have done something with it. And that was the buyer that bought it. Wow. That's such a cool story. So interesting that you were on the forefront and that you were innovative enough to think ahead and to think almost kind of that passive income that everyone talks about now, especially since COVID. But this was how many years ago, not just the last three years. So I think that's very interesting. And you saying that, do you feel you've always had an entrepreneurial drive or is that something that was kind of built in you from necessity or coming from somewhere else? Well, if I look back, I remember that I was 12 years old and that was when all these like posters were the big hit, right? Everybody want to have these like posters in their bedroom and I couldn't afford it. So I realized if I became a reseller that I would get points and then I would get these posters for free. And shockingly, ever so often the company made a mistake and they sent me an extra one or two and then I had profit because then I could sell stuff that they sent me too many off and I could, you know, then do a special, special offer. So now looking back, I'm like, well, that's entrepreneurial. You know, my mother was a housewife. My father was uh, the CEO of a dairy business. I was interested in what my mother did. I went with my dad to the office on the weekend and I thought it was cool that he had four secretaries and this big boardroom and that he knew the name of the of the janitor and, you know, and, and the things that he taught me along the way on how in his company, the janitor was just as important as his vice president, because nothing in a company works without every person involved. But I still went the route of finding a job and working in a job. But ultimately, let's face it, I'm unemployable. 
I think many entrepreneurs are, especially once you've been in the space for a while. Is there anything that you learned, any key takeaways, anything that was surprising within the acquisition, the process, building and selling a business? Most people listening probably have not done that or have experience in that. So is there anything that you feel that is important or worth knowing? The most important thing I would would want to tell your audience is the business model is everything. You know, there's a very you got to get clear what it is that you want. And based on what you want, you design the business model. There's more than one business model. There's many different business models. You got to figure out which one works for you. When you have that in place, then you design the strategy. When you have the strategy, then you build the systems. And then you figure out, you know, who am I selling to? What's their problem? And what's the offer that I need to be making? So you have to be very deliberate. Most business owners, especially the younger generation, because you are you know, and I'm going to be honest about this. I think a lot of the stuff that I see, you know, from an Alex Hermosi, this is all stuff we've said 20 years ago. I mean, there's not one thing I've heard him say where I go, wow, this is profound. I'm like, he's just, I said that 20 years ago. You know, I, I can, I can show you, you know, people like me who've done this a long time ago. So a lot of these guys just taking existing information and regurgitating it and putting it out as if it was their own. So don't drink this Kool-Aid. There is only a small percentage that will get to that level. And let's look at Gary V. I don't know what Gary V's business model is. I do this for a living and I can't figure it out. I think his, his business is like he wants to be like a Trump, right? Just the new version of it where, where it's like what? Gary V vodka, Gary V travel, Gary V, you know, grass growers. He wants to be a celebrity. So you got to be very clear. What is it that you want and what does it come with? And then you have to build it accordingly. But in 100% of all cases, it's going to be work. What are your thoughts on building a business that you are passionate about? Do you What do you say that figure out what you're passionate about and build from there or figure out what can, and you know, some people do give this advice to figure out what can what do people need? Even if it's not something you're truly passionate about, what do businesses need? What do consumers need? And then sell from there. That goes back to that goes back to the the first and ultimate decision. What are you in it for? So for somebody who says, I just want to make the money. Okay. I just want to make the money. I want to make the money so I can sit in Buenos Aires. I can go to Mexico. I can go to Portugal. I can go to Spain. I can I can travel. I just I just need the easiest, fastest way to the cash. Then you do your market analysis, you you try different things until you find the winning offer, you don't care, and then you perfect the offer, and then you make the money. That works to a certain extent. I know a lot of people that have done that, and then there comes the point where they say, well, this can hardly be it, because it underutilizes. I find that people that live on purpose and in passion have a way better time in life. I mean, I cannot even fathom. I mean, it is... Literally unfathomable for me to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do something that I don't like to do because it makes me money. I have to, we put this in our mission statement. We are an impact-driven company. And that means that we measure our impact by how much impact we help others make. If I don't help you to make your impact, I'm not doing my job. I'm failing at my job. But that's a decision you need to make as you're going in and you say, I'm going to give myself permission for five years. Just let's get the money out of the way. Just Let's just get it out of the way. And then I'm going to start moving into something that I'm passionate about. Or you say, I am very passionate about it. I'm going to figure out how to make money with it. 
there is no good answer to that because you have to live with the decision that you make. And I always look at it this way. So yes, you can find a partner in life who has all the attributes that are on your list. Tall, handsome, six-pack, fit, successful, drives a nice car, travels frequently, friendly, good manners. But if there's no spark and no, you don't want to rip his clothes off and be wild and passionate, you're going to not have a great time in this relationship because something's missing. So when you build a business that's based on the criteria, you're going to have the same problem. It's going to be not fulfilling over time. What is my advice? Passion supersedes everything else because you're going to have hard times, even in what things looks like an easy business. But with passion, you can overcome so much more because you you always go back to, but I have an energy that's connected to that and resonance. I wanted your take on that. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's very insightful. You have many accolades to your name. You were named top 100 global thought leaders by People Hum. There's there's so many here as I'm reading them. Number one international award-winning Amazon bestseller. One of the 50 most followed women entrepreneurs by HuffPost. There's many things that you have been a part of. What has that journey looked like? And is that part of the current business that you have now? Um, so the business is definitely based on passion. So once I came out on the other side, having gone through what I've gone through as a single working mom with a lot of obstacles stacked against me, I was I wanted to share the information. I remember that as I was going through this, there was this moment where I would sit at a conference and it was the National Association of Women Business Owners. And I heard this woman speak. And to this day, I know the story she talked about. And I listen to her and I'm thinking to myself, one day I will be up on stage. I will tell my story and I will inspire women like me or people like me sitting in the audience and giving them hope that they can achieve that. But I knew that I had to have the story first. I've done a lot of speaking. I've traveled all over to, you know, to do keynotes and breakouts and panel panel discussions. The passion is when you have a success that is a success for a group that is, and this is, this is years ago. This isn't yesterday. This is, this is a while ago. Like, what do you do with that? I went into Neiman Marcus after I sold the business and I looked at a $200 t-shirt. My daughter looked at a $2,500 Burberry coat and I had the money. And I looked at it and I put it back on the rack. I said, Muki, we need to go. It didn't mean anything to me then. It's not meaning anything to me now. So I knew very quickly that my fulfillment in life wasn't going to come from that. My fulfillment in life was going to come from helping people make an impact. I really, I really am driven by that. And then, and then, then there was a moment where I'm like, seriously, God, am I going to have to go through all of this all over again? And the answer is yes, because this other thing was a prelude to what I'm doing, what I'm doing now. So, so I've, I work with a lot of visionaries, thought leaders now help them to grow their authority and scale their impact. And what that means, I help people land planes. A lot of people have ideas, but they don't understand business models. They don't understand strategy. They don't understand systems. They, you know, there's, there's this internet marketing trap that I find so unethical and so revolting. And it goes like this. It's like you you find something that resonates with you on the ethical persuasive language, which we all know is 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 
part of neurolinguistic programming and neuroscience, right? It's all meant for your brain to fire certain signals. So you see something that you like and you buy it. You spend $2,000 on it or $5,000 or $10,000, $25,000 on a high-ticket program. Then you go into this program and then inevitably they hand you over to their next affiliate. So if you just figured out, let's say, how to speak from stage, your next thing is that the next affiliate offer is, what are you going to be selling from stage? You need an offer. So now the affiliate program is how to create an offer. Now, then Jeff Walker comes in in the affiliate program and says, like, how do you launch the product? Now you need to buy the product launch. Then you have the product launch formula. Then you go and you say, well, now I need a, fu- a funnel. Russell Brunson shows up. Now you, you're, you're in click funnels and, and now you're hacking your funnel. Now Ryan Leveresque goes and says, how are you going to get the leads? You need to do your quiz. Now you pay for this. Now Ryan Dice shows up and says, you still need more leads, you know, with your micro offer. And so all you do is you constantly chase the one domino that tips the whole thing. And you need to stop that. You need to look at what do I want? What is my business model? And then I can help you to take these pieces and assort them in such a way where I said, you're a nomad. What are you going to do with speaking? Yeah, it sounds sexy, but no. You know, you do your speaking with podcasts much better strategy for you because you're independent. So you need to build it so it fits your lifestyle. You save yourself money, you sell yourself time. So that's what I do. I help people to, to, to a friend of mine, Krista Grasso calls it unnecessary complexity, to get rid of the complexity, to get really focused. What is it actually that you do? What do you want to do? And then how do we build the business model? How do we talk about it? What are the offers that come with this model so that you can go out and actually make some money? So that's what I do today. And I do this with individuals, with small business owners. I do this with companies like Amazon and where I'm being brought in as a strategist to help them to take all this information that they have and distill it down to action items and an executable plan. That's my specialty. I can can take a lot of noise and make it land. How... Did you scale this? How long have you been, how long has this business been in existence? And what did the journey look like for you? But before you answer that, I do just want to note, it's so interesting what you just said, because I completely agree, agree. And I think that anybody who has even had a little tiny taste of online business will understand that you are always being sold to by the experts, the Russell Brunsons, you know, the big names. There's always something more you have to know. And you could know that thing. You could know everything you need to know to get started, but they will sell you that you do not know. And so I think it's a very interesting that you bring this up because, you know, that's that's how they make money. Not saying they're not providing amazing, valuable information because they are, especially if you really need that one area of information, but it's so easy to then go, oh, but you need this piece of the puzzle. And then there's this piece of the puzzle and it's almost like a hamster wheel. You you summed that up exactly correctly. And that's what the entrepreneurial trap is. The next thing, the next sexy thing that makes it easy. And people keep chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. I mean, yes, it is absolutely possible, which we see in the testimonials, right? So there are these 10 people who say, oh my God, that was the thing for me. For most people, it just isn't because to stay with the example of speaking, because then you find out that you have to travel. So every speaking engagement, that's one hour. You have to travel there for a day and travel back for a day. 
you have all the preparation, then you have to have all the follow-up. So now you're three days away from your family or from your friends, and you're always on the road. And I know people who have done this and they burned out, they burned out incredibly quickly. So yes, it sounds good, but then the realities of these decisions are are different. Or if you go into a full-on internet business where it's only an online marketing business, you're always going to be in front of the computer. So yes, you can sit in Buenos Aires and Portugal and the best places of the world, but you're on the computer all the time, like you're slave to the computer. My business today is is a consulting business and I've set it up. We actually, before COVID, I was doing a lot of women leadership development and I was doing a lot of speaking and I loved it. And I thought that we finally had gotten to the point where we could get women leadership to equality and then COVID came and look what happened to women leadership now. I mean, it's just gone back and you know, we, we, we've changed the rights women's ha- women have in the United States. We are going back to the cave, cave woman time. So women have no rights at all. And it, it, it's just crazy. And then I got served by, by Google and YouTube. You know, I had a, had a, my, my channel was crushing it. We were doing really well. And then I was served in front of an audience that are women haters. And now I am looked at my age and you know we can talk very honestly about brand as an aging feminist and I mean, all women are feminists on what you, whatever you want to call it or not I mean I've been in I've been in the game long enough I mean if you stand out if if you feel that you should have rights that's a feminist but call it whatever you want I don't care so I was being called out for the me too movement after backlash that a lot of these men were were very angry about and so next thing, I'm getting death threats and I'm getting people telling me things. The world would be a better place without you because I talk about that women should get the same amount of pay, that I talked about that men should have the same rights when it comes to paternity leave as women have with maternity leave. I mean, this is all stuff that really everybody should want, right? But for some reason, I got in front of the wrong crowd and then I had to shut everything down. It got so bad that, that my partner, Gary, said, Babe, it's just not worth it if if they kill you over this. You know, you need to make a decision here on what's more important. And so I said, well, I can't put my family in danger because of something like this. So I had to shut it all down. And that's when I started shifting. That was about three years ago now, back to the growth architect. You know, I've always had the growth architect brand for a while, but I really went more heavily into the strategic and the systematizing piece because I also found that one of the things that I have learned from a client of mine by the name of Marco Margulis, who said, when you pick a message that you want to go out with, make sure that it is a message that everybody can agree to. Because if the message itself has friction, you're already walking in, you, you already walking in with friction, and then you have to overcome friction. So so I picked now a message that has no friction because it is about, do you want to grow your authority and do you want to scale your impact? There's no friction here. Everybody, everybody wants authority. Everybody wants to make an impact. And so now we've really focused and keep narrowing it down, narrowing it down. I cut all the fat. I took over 500 pages off my website, really getting, getting very clear on what I do and what I want to do. My daughter is literally in the you know, like hours away from giving birth to my first grandchild. That's made a significant impact in how I look at my life. So what I want to impart is that business is an inevitable change and you have to have the courage 
that when your vision changes or your perspective changes to also change the model that goes with it. And sometimes these things feel painful in the moment, but ultimately this business is about you creating a life that you like, not you being the slave to it and being in a hostile relationship with it. It's a, that's a bad life. Where can people find you in the online space? I would recommend everybody to go take our complimentary quiz because we did we did do that. We did think that that was a good thing. So you go to growthblockerquiz.com and it's a quiz about how to figure out what your number one business growth blocker is. And then you get a report what you can do to remove it. And if you want to talk to us, go ahead, fill out a complimentary uncovery session. Go to uncoverysession.com and make sure you mention this show so that you get priority treatment. And while we are at it, I would really encourage you, wherever you pick up this podcast, go and give Nicole some love, give her a five-star review and a comment. Maybe share one thing that you've taken away from this episode, because that's what makes the algorithm pick up the show more often. It's the comments and the feedback, the engagement. And please do share this episode with one other person. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.